Warning! The following Game of Thrones book club podcast contains explicit language and adult conversations. Listener discretion is advised. Game of Thrones Season 5, Episode 7, The Gift is over, but the book club is just starting now. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wigglerend. Oh my, it's Terry Schwartz. <laughs> You're already starting with this. Oh my. Oh, I have to. I have to. I have to I, mean, I have to start there. I missed the Game of Thrones live show this week. I was on an airplane. Antonio Mazzaro filled in for me on the live recap on Sunday night with Rob Sesternino. And uh, what an episode for me to miss. I know. I mean, this. Oh my. There could be no bigger. Oh. Wiggler as Sam episode in oh, my man. mind. Oh, Gilly. Yeah. Oh, God. In fact, why don't I just keep sharing my thoughts and you just keep saying, oh, my, oh, and my. Sam <laughs> for the rest of this? I think it's possible. I think it's possible. Anyway, we'll, we'll get into all of that. There's so much to dig into this week. This was a huge, huge episode of Game of Thrones. Tons of stories happening. Tons of characters doing stuff. Lots of stuff from the books. Things that have changed. Things that are interesting based on what we know from the books. So lots to talk about. For people who do not know, this is the Game of Thrones book club. This is the place where you listen to stuff about Game of Thrones from the perspective of people who have read the books. So this is meant for the people who have read the books, or if you're some of those people who don't care about the spoilers from the books, then you can listen here too. Otherwise, if you are somebody who has just stumbled in here and you don't like the spoiler thing, you're in trouble. Get out of here now. That's your first and only warning. We do this every week. Uh, Now we can start talking about stuff. Um, And I don't know, there's so much to talk about this week. Not just Sam and Gilly making the bond. There's, There's so many other things that we can discuss. And I think that the huge, huge headline this week is Danny and Tyrion, so I'm going to want to start there. Uh, Danny and Tyrion, we've, we've known for a while now that these two were going to get together based on if you were following along with like behind the scenes photos and stuff. There was uh, there there was evidence of Peter Dinklage and Amelia Clark filming scenes together, but it's happening. It's happening on the show now. It's a it's a I was it's surprised a real that thing. it happened so early. I mean, I guess it, it, this is episode seven. It's not that early in the season, but I just kept feeling like, are they going there? Are they going there? Oh okay, we're doing this now. That's awesome. That means we have like, what, three more episodes to enjoy Danny and Tyrion getting to know one another. Well, yeah, three more episodes this season, but it looks to me that Danny and Tyrion will probably be in each other's stories for a good long while now. I would imagine so. And I don't know if you saw this uh, interview that Dan and David, the showrunners, did with Entertainment Weekly. I did, yes. Um, where they were talking about why they brought these storylines together now. And they made an interesting comment, which is like, we don't want to do 10 seasons. We don't want to do nine seasons. We don't want to spend four seasons in Marine. Yes. Thank you for saying that. that. (laughs) Yeah. Which makes me think that like, they must be getting out of Marine towards the end of this season. I think, right? I think, or maybe beginning of next season. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's too tough to completely break away from Marine with only three episodes left. That is really just chainsawing through the Miranese knot. I think that they need to, they need to wrap that up probably beginning of next season. Um, but it does, which sa- I'm okay with. <laughs> I'm fine with that. I'm fine with, I'm fine with there being a Marine cliffhanger. I'm fine with that. And as long as it's resolved fairly quickly next season and Danny starts heading to Westeros, I think that's. That's good. But I do think that that. Yeah. So so those of you who don't know, uh, Benioff and Weiss, the showrunners, they gave an interview to Entertainment Weekly. They were asked about bringing Tyrion and Danny together. And this is what they said. We're really excited to see these two characters. We love so much. Finally setting eyes on each other. 
Creatively, it made sense to us because we wanted it to happen. They're two of the best characters of the show. To have them come so close together this season, then have them not meet felt incredibly frustrating. Also, we're on a relatively fast pace. We don't want to do a 10-year adaptation of the books. We don't want to do a nine-year adaptation. We're not going to spend four seasons in Marine. It's time for these two, these two to get together. It's hard to come up with a more eloquent explanation, but this just felt right. Varys puts Tyrion's mission out there in the season premiere, and the mission ends in Marine. Um, so yeah, so they hit fast forward on this. I kind of like how they're throwing a little tiny bit of shade at George R. R. Martin there. Did you catch that? Uh, when they say they to did, ha- and also at fans were there like, we don't have an eloquent es- explanation. We just want to do it. Right. Which I think it's been pretty much their mindset this entire season. Yeah, to have them come so close together this season, then not have them meet felt incredibly frustrating. Shade, 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 <laughs> shade alert. Shade. Yeah, that's fun. And not like Shay from uh, Tyrion's past. No. You just got no, shade. Uh, no, they they just tossed some serious shade at George R. R. Martin. It's kind of it's kind of playful. I feel like, but it's what did kinda, you it's what did great. you think about how uh, how these two came together though? Did you like the twists in the story that brought them into close proximity? Well, I feel like they really yada yadded the Mister Echo stuff. Uh, like you cast, he Mr. was so great though. You, ca- you cast <laughs> Mister Echo on Game of Thrones for like half an episode basically you know he was there for a minute last week and now he's here for a minute and he sells them off and i assume that's gonna be it i mean maybe he'll show up again later how else would he show up where else would he go he'd have to cross paths with somebody else yeah with somebody else but like think about mark gaddis they brought him on for an episode right or you know they've they've done that with other characters he's the the iron banker and you you assume that the iron banker is going to have something to do Right. I mean, I assume that Mace Tyrell will bump into him later this season. But, um, but yeah, I don't know how to pronounce that actor's name, so we can just keep calling him Mr. Echo. Yeah, Adewale Akinoye Agabaje is how you There you go. Well, I'm glad that you said it. Listen, I'm a big fan of AAA. He just had so so many great like small charismatic moments in these two episodes that I just really thought that he was fun and a great new character. And, you know, even if his sole purpose was bringing these characters from point A to point B, I enjoyed all the scenes with him in it. Right. I mean, we're, we're skipping ahead or, or skipping around at least a little bit as I say this, but like a lot of people before the season and before casting was announced or anything like that, before there was Ariel Hota on the show, before that character was cast, a lot of people said that they wanted to see Adewale Akinoye Agabaje play that character. Uh, they wanted to see him as Ariel Hota. And then he winds up on the show as a totally different character and a different guy gets to play Ariel Hota. And I think Ariel Hota on the show sucks. I think that he's boring. Interesting. I think he's boring. I don't, I don't think that he's dangerous. I don't think that he's bringing any menace. And I feel like if you've got AAA on your show, cast AAA as Ariel Hota. I feel like he right. would have been an awesome Ariel Hota and that would have been a really great use of him. But maybe that would have been think, a little too similar to Mr. Echo. I think the show Echo. is just making, like, it isn't doing enough with Ariel Hota as it is. I don't think that that has anything to do with the actor uh, who is playing him. And I actually, uh, earlier this week, I haven't run the interview yet, but I spoke with Diobia, who plays Ariel Hota. Seems, like, seems of- like a lovely man. Yeah, well, no, we just sort of commiserated over the lack of action that he has. Okay, this good. Season. So he's, he's like, frustrated too. <laughs> I mean, like, that I wouldn't makes go me like him a lot like more immediately. Yeah. But, uh, but he was like, yeah, I'm hoping that stuff makes it into next season. So I was like, I'm glad that you aren't blind to the fact that your character is way more of a badass in the book. 
Yeah. yeah. But in terms of how they got together, uh, Tyrion and Danny in like with the fighting pit scene, that was cool. I liked that a lot. And I really liked sort of Jorah Mormont's Russell Crowe moment of like uh, total. Oh my God. It's like Why a total. Didn't it was he like, say, are you not entertained? Yeah. Are you not entertained? <laughs> I really wanted him to say that. It really also, felt like it was ripped straight out of Gladiator. He totally did. It totally did. And we, I watched it with two other people and we were like expecting that line, even though that would have totally been breaking the fourth wall. Um, but I might've been okay with it. I also don't know if you caught this, yes. but Reddit, yes. uh, you know, yes. you know what I'm going yes. for. Reddit believes that oh there my. was a strong Bella oh Ross cameo in this scene, which I don't uh, know if that's true. I'm, I'm buying it. I'm in. I'm in on this. In. Yeah. Michael Folletti wrote in and asked us, hey, guys, I read on the A Song of Ice and Fire Reddit that the guy who freed Tyrion might have been a strong Belwaz cameo. What do you think? Uh, I think yes. I'm just going to go ahead and say yes. If I had robbed Cesarino's bell, I would be dinging it uncontrollably <laughs> right now. Instead, I will just say, oh, my. Oh, my. I'm, so there was, I'm there going was a chubby in. guy with an Iraq yes. who yes. frees Tyrion and, and people are like, this could be a strong bell loss. I totally think he looks way more like Foggy Nelson from Daredevil. He does. Like, he, does look, like he does, he does look like Foggy Bellwaz. Foggy Bellwaz. Yeah. Yes, maybe Foggy Bellwaz will return again this season. I, Why waste a character like that? I think that I think that it was a wink and a nod to Strong Bellwaz. I think that it was we, we have this big fat guy with with the Iraq. We have the the signature sword of Strong Bellwaz. He's not bald, but I think people uh, I saw this on the Reddit thread. People thought that maybe the showrunners would have thought that the average viewer would have confused him for Varys. So I guess Varys <laughs> Varys has the market cornered on fat bald people on the show. Uh, you can't be fat and bald unless you are Varys. So they they didn't want to do that. So he has the hair. That's fine. I'm okay with it. Even if he doesn't like say it. anything, even if he never returns again, at the very <laughs> least, I feel like the show acknowledged Strong Bell was. And I'm thrilled. Uh, I, I am so happy. That means you're two for two on this being the best episode ever for you. Um, yeah, this pretty much. Sam and Strong Bell was. Yeah, this might be the greatest episode of Game of Thrones of all time. <laughs> it's got strong Bellas and it's got Sam getting it on. So it's it's pretty good. This is a good week for Wiggler. Yeah. Yes. No, I saw that and I was just immediately like, ah, strong Bellas, what's up? I think uh, like, it was for great. me with the, the Tyrion and Danny thing, to me was the, actually the second most important moment in the episode, mostly because I'm like, okay, these characters are together. But I'm just like, and then what? That's yeah, what sure. I'm really interested to see. And in that EW article, uh, the writer mentions that there's like this great conversation between Danny and Tyrion next episode. So like I'm sort of holding on to my excitement for that, uh, those story collisions sure. until next week. And then I want to see it. But to me, I just loved the end of this episode and finally getting to Cersei's downfall. Like we've been waiting for it all season and she's been so smug. It's been like practically oozing out of her, especially in, in this episode when she's having that conversation with the high sparrow at the end. And she's like, Oh yes. Like tell me more about how all my enemies are captive. Um, so I think for her to finally finally get knocked down was great and the execution of that scene was fantastic as well it's interesting it's interesting that we're talking about these two stories at the same time because the cersei story is the story that ends the episode and to me i really felt like it was paced wrong i thought i really thought that i thought that that should have been the penultimate scene of the episode and i thought that danny and Tyrion finally getting to lay eyes on each other that's such a huge moment for the show that's something that we've been waiting for 
forever. You know, it really feels like it. As much as we've been waiting to see uh, Cersei get her just reward, you know, after all of this manipulating that she's been doing and, you know, scheming and plotting and lying and all of this terrible stuff that she's been up to, you kind of figure that that's going to happen at some point. Like, Cersei is going to get what's coming to her. Um, Well, to me, I think part of why it maybe got such a big moment in the episode is I really feel like this has been Cersei's season. Like she's the only one or the only main character left in King's Landing. And I think that her scenes and her story has been some of the strongest this year. Oh, sure. Uh, so I really like, I felt like that scene at the end with her and the high sparrow packed a punch that for me, the Tyrion and Danny scene didn't pack. And I mean, that might just be how we're biased to the show at this point. Like, I think that I I like Cersei's story more than anyone else's so far. And I'm really invested in that while like Danny sort of lost me a little bit and I'm waiting to be won back over with it. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. But I think that Tyrion coming into Danny's storyline gives you immediate hope that this Mirian storyline can wrap up a little faster than it does in the books. And Mm -hmm. in a, in a very, very interesting way, I think it's pretty clear to me at least that Tyrion, if not Tyrion and Jorah, they are the new barrist in the bold. They're going to take on all of that stuff. They are going to untangle the Mirianese knot and it's going to be very cool to see. So I'm really excited about that. And I thought that that just should have been the the final moment of the episode because it's such a big deal for the show to finally have Tyrion and Danny meeting. This is something we haven't even seen in the books these are two of the biggest characters on the show uh many people who subscribe to the theory that they are two of the three heads of the dragon uh we even got we got some comments from people including uh, a, a listener jeff g who wanted to know if this is going to uh speak at all if to the to the Tyrion targaryen theory which if some of you guys are listening to this for the one of the first times or haven't listened to our world of ice and fire podcast there's a very prevalent theory out there that not only does r plus l equal j uh but I believe it's A plus J equals T, uh, yes. <laughs> which is uh, the Mad King, Aerys, and Joanna Lannister uh, are, are Tyrion's true parents. So he is a Lannister, but it's the Mad King who raped his mother, and he is the product of that. Uh, that's a theory that I believe, if you go back and you listen to the World of Ice and Fire podcast that Terry and I did, I really do think that that book... Uh, is a huge, huge feather in the cap for people who subscribe to that theory. I don't think that it's nearly as ironclad as Arbozel equals J, but I'm feeling pretty good about it. Um, I do, I do think that there's something to that. So, um, the fact that we, if if that's true, I imagine that we'll get hints of that, if not outright confirmation of that, sometime in the nearish future. Now that these two characters are in each other's orbit, so I just thought it was such a huge deal to have these people there, and also um, not to diminish the final, uh, the the long awaited arrival of strong bell <laughs> the long awaited well i think that this definitely uh, lends credence to the, your theory that we're going to get danny being flown away on drogon before the end of the season i think because so. i still think that that's like finale cliffhanger material right but I, I feel like i could i could see that happening still penultimate because then it gives you a, a finale with Tyrion and jorah having stuff to do in terms of like cleaning up the mess that she's left behind right uh, but and that could I'm also really- be early season six I'm really interested to see uh, what we do get in next week's episode because it's the big hard home episode. Um, They've been talking all season about how like some of the most intricate action shots are in next week's episode. And like, I think we're going to spend a lot of time there. Like we have in the past, like the wall episode and uh, the battle of black. But but, but based on the preview, it doesn't look like it's going to be exclusively hard home. Right. So that's sorry. That's sort of what I meant. Like, I wonder how much, 
of the other storylines we'll get if we'll have a lot of time right. to spend with Danny and Tyrion or see Cersei again or any of them versus, you know, a bulk of the episode being hard home. Right. Okay. So let's, we'll get to the Cersei stuff, but I, I want to pivot away from Meereen. Let's go, let's go to Westeros. Let's start at the top and work our way down. Let's start as far north as we can get and then go as far <laughs> south. How about that? Let's, let's work, our, let's work our way down that way. So let's start at the wall. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've been waiting, fans of the books and fans of Samuel Tarly have been waiting for the arrival of the fat pink mast. And here it is. <laughs> it's so gross. It's such that a could not, it's, that could not have a worse <laughs> visual imagery. It's such a gross way of putting it, but that's how George R. R. Martin famously describes Samuel Tarley's penis in <sighs> A Feast for Crows. And the scene happened. I mean, he's not on the way to Old Town or anything, at least not yet. We can talk about that a little bit in a minute. Um, but they're doing a lot of the stuff from Sam's journey to to Old Town. In the show, they're just choosing right. to do it at the wall. And I think it's really interesting. And I, I, I really loved the sex scene. It was great. It I was great. I loved the sex scene, too. It was the scene building up to it that I yes. wasn't crazy about. Sure, sure, sure. And I just, like, why is Ghost there? That's Go- my biggest question coming out of this. Why is Ghost at the wall still why didn't he go with john did i miss something ghost in and john aren't like they don't they don't really bro down very much anymore i feel like i know but that's sort of i've been curious about that this whole time and i just don't understand why john wouldn't take him along with him i guess you know when when he's he sam's bodyguard yeah i guess but just i guess sam does need a bodyguard that as, was as i sort of i wish someone could like magically pull one of the d's out of the ether where they hide from the internet and like get them to answer that question because i i want like a little bit of that thought process right. explained to me for all that this season of game of thrones has been like cramming knowledge down the viewer's throat that's something that i wish that they had explained a little bit more and i saw i wasn't the only one wondering that like that might be reading too much into everything but um but i was like oh that why did ghost show up i'm glad he saved sam but right I don't know. right no i i i hear you i i felt like ghost was on the show um, maybe to speak to the theories that John, when he gets stabby stabbed, is going to warg into ghost, which I know you don't dig. Uh, you don't you don't dig that theory. I th- yeah, I thought I also saw like on the. Assembly it's like because we've like kind of forgotten about ghost, so let's get ghost on the show just to remind people that right. ghost is here. And someone read into it that like maybe that was John subconsciously warging into ghost to protect Sam. Yeah, but the show would have to like show a little bit of John in order to make that feel right. I feel like right. Yeah, I mean, that was my biggest question. And I mean, I do, I never want to talk about rape again after last week's episode. But I also thought the whole like, Gilly getting attacked in, you know, getting molested and stuff like, all right, we get it. This is a thing in the show. I just I don't need to see it with like every single female character. Right. No, it was it was a little exhausting after last week, for sure. To, yeah, to have it like as that was about to happen. It's like, oh, God, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> As sick as I'm, many of the listeners were of hearing us talk about it last week, like I was so sick of talking about it and thinking about it. And then I saw that and I was like, oh, no, at least give me a week break. I know. I know. I was thinking (laughs) the same thing. Not everyone who watches is has their job be to talk about the show and think about the show. But I was like, 
Okay. <laughs> please, please no, please no. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm glad that it it goes the way that it goes. A, a couple of uh, things that I've been seeing from uh, people whose writing that I've read is like the proximity of that scene to the sex scene with Sam and Gilly is a little curious as well. But we don't we don't need to linger there too long. I'm sure we'll 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 get to Santa in a little while. We'll talk about it a little bit and then we'll move on. Um, I do want to dial back though, even before these scenes uh, with Sam Amon. and Sam's big moment. Yeah, the Amon yes. scene. Because that's something that in the books happened when they were on the ship to Old Town, which, as you mentioned, they aren't doing. Um, but there's that one line in the episode, uh, Eamon's last line that I think for a lot of book reader fans was a great like, oh, you included this line that's so beautiful from the books, which is when um, when Eamon says, Egg, I dreamed that I was old. Yeah. And then he dies. Like he's he's referencing his brother Aegon, who is a main character in the Duncan Egg novellas. Uh, it's such a like a beautiful and and sad thought. Someone like he just goes back to thinking that he's a child and is talking to his brother who's been dead for decades and and says, I dreamed that I was old when he is this old blind man at the watch. I just I'm so glad that that line clearly spoke to them as well and that they included it in the show, because I think it's like a really beautiful moment for a character who wasn't used too much. Uh, he always used to great. I feel like I feel like wasn't used too much. In I the feel show. like he was used about as much as he was in the books. You know, like right. maybe yeah. a little bit less. Uh, but yeah. I but I feel like they did a good job with him uh, on the show, and it was it was a really great final episode for him. Uh, and for, something that we thought when we were watching it was like it feels like a real turning point for the Night's Watch because yeah, end of an era. You, yeah, and Eamon was this great institution and suddenly we don't have anyone left from that time anymore. And we really, especially with John leaving the wall in this episode, we feel a real shift in the people who remain. And that goes back to the the people who attacked Sam. Like, as um, as is mentioned to Sam, there aren't a lot of friendly faces uh, left. You're losing and all he- of your friends, Tali. <laughs> you're going to die, so- Tali. I really, I really love that scene. And from a book club perspective, I thought that it was a great nod to fans of the books. A bit more direct than the maybe Bellwas cameo. No matter what I do, you're going to die, Tali. Yeah, oh, well. uh, it's very, very, very scary stuff. Uh, but no, I, I, love, I loved Eamon this week. And, and the egg, I dreamed that I was old. It's nice. You know, the show does take its lumps every once in a while from book readers for like, excluding ed fetch me a block and and lines like that but it every once in a while it 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 does just like totally get like it cherry picks something that people really hold as precious like the stannis nod after john slices jana slint's head off or this moment from aemon here so it was it was really great to see that we also get Eamon saying this is a question in from from Matt Campbell uh, Matt Campbell writes in one of Eamon's last words were to Sam and Gilly to take the baby south do you think Sam and Gilly will leave for Old Town before the end of the season uh, and will that decision involve John in any way considering he'll probably either be in hard home or being stabby stabbed um, I, I put this question to you Terry do you think that this is um, you know we're accomplishing a lot of the journey to Old Town in this season uh with with sam and gilly on the wall they don't have to be on a boat they don't have to go through bravos they don't have to do any of that stuff to accomplish a lot of what's going on on that journey to begin with uh granted there is no like baby replacing thing happening here and that's a big deal in the books but on the show they're still you know they're getting closer we're getting this line from aemon to to go south do you think that we are going to have sam and gilly leave for old town if not before the end of the season at all 
I do. I have sort of felt like this throughout this season because I'm like, how are they? It it won't make sense to me to have the stabby sad thing go down when Sam is there. Yeah. Because I would imagine that Sam would be doing everything with his within his power to stop it and also probably be able to rally some people to him. To I got to be honest. It. I was kind of a little worried that he was going to get killed in this episode. When when those guy when those guys were beating him up, I really thought that they were like gonna like beat him to death and we were gonna lose him entirely. I really wanted him to like hulk out a bit, and then I was that's why I was a little bummed when Ghost showed up because I really wanted Sam to just like punch someone in the face and like do something because when he was getting kicked on the ground. I'm like Sam, you're better than this. Like we've seen you become better than this. You're stronger than this. And when he has that moment where he stands up and he's like, "You don't want to mess with this." I wanted I wanted a little bit more from him. You don't want to so mess guess, with this. I love it. Yeah. Well, we, I think we had like a little Step bit off different this. responses there, but I, I do feel like you don't. Come at Samuel He's, Tarly half bitch. No, you don't. <laughs> I do feel like either John will send him away before the end or, or Sam will decide like this isn't a safe place for me to be. I should go to Old Town and, and take Gilly and, and baby Sam with me. Um, little Sam. Be- Little Sam. Uh, <laughs> there's, because, a, there's a fat pink mask joke there that I will be, Oh, no. No more masks. No I'm more. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's not my word. It's I not my word. I keep having that image in my face. And I just, oh, I don't, God, Terry, no. I don't need that. I don't need Terry, that. Terry, no. Don't say um, it like that. Uh, but yeah, I totally am subscribed to the theory that he'll be sent out of uh, the wall, Castle Black, before yeah. the end of the season. And that when stuff goes down with John, if it does go down this season, he won't be there for it. But I thought that it was, and I'm jumping a little bit away from the wall for this, but still staying in the north. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that went on with Sansa's storyline. But finally, to me, I understood why John will decide to lead um, his men away for like lead people to Winterfell because what the look on Sansa's face when she finds out that John is the Lord commander of the Night's Watch and that she has this savior whose family who's so close to her. I was like, this is going to be enough when John finds out that Sansa is at Winterfell for him to say, to, to say, screw the Night's Watch, like screw my vows here. I need to protect my sister, half sister. I need to get rid of the Boltons. Like this is a recipe for disaster. Did you feel that way at all? Yeah, I, I did. I, I definitely got that. Um, I, I think that, yeah, the look on her face when she finds out that he's Lord Commander Snow and Ramsey's like, your brother's done quite well for himself. She's like, hmm, light bulb, Eureka. Uh, yeah. Let's let's talk about John a little bit first before we go before we go to Winterfell, though, cool. um, because uh, we've get we we get John. He's about to leave for hard home. Alistair Thorne is giving him the whole like this is a bad idea spiel. Like you're disgracing the memories of people who died. Uh, we we get this scene where where Ollie is just giving him the eyes, like just staring down at John. This is from our. Our good friend Brendan of House Fitzy writes in, so watching the episode, Jon Snow going off, Alistair saying, you're losing all your friends, Charlie. The scene spent a lot of time focusing in on Ollie and his face and him just staring down Jon. I get the feeling that we are definitely heading towards Ollie being the head of the Stabby Stabby Fun Time gang in a few episodes. Do you guys feel the same? I think, Terry, I can speak for both of us when we say... Ollie is totally stabbing the shit out of Jon Snow. Yeah. Uh, and we've been feel- we've been feeling that way for a while that Ollie is going to stabby stab Jon for sure. As for him being the head of that gang, I think it's Alistair Thorne. I think Alistair Thorne seems to be the guy who's going to be at the at the top of that. I think him saying to Sam, you're running out of friends, uh him being left in charge of the wall right now, him being the guy who is so close to being in charge of the wall, I think Alistair Thorne is going to be leading the brigade. Ollie's just a kid. He's the bone marsh of the crew. If- I don't think that he's going to be the brains behind. It. He's just going to be the one that it's the most tragic when he betrays John too. 
I almost wonder if Alistair would be the one who actually like stands up for John and maybe doesn't do it because I feel like That'd there's be been a growing. I feel like there's been a growing respect between the two of them um, all all the show, but especially this season and to have the, him turn around and betray John just feels like a big step back for that relationship. And I mean, that would be tragic too, if he's like, you know what, this is just right for the night's watch. But I like thinking that maybe he won't have anything to do with it. Right. I think that, um, I was such a sap. Such a, such a sap. <sighs> I, I think that, uh, I, I feel like the fact that John is bringing the wildlings down and Alistair is so adamantly against it. I think that that speaks to Alistair wanting to, change the leadership uh i do think that there's growing respect and even in you know the the battle at the wall i think did a lot for that even though they said i don't like you john snow you know i think that there is still i think there was still some respect there but i feel like a lot of that is going out the window because of what john is promising to do with the with the wildlings here um the other the other big thing about john before we start moving toward winterfell and we'll stop at stannis before we get to winterfell but the other big thing i thought was John with the dragon glass dagger. Uh, Sam gives him the dragon glass. So we like to say here on post show recaps, Chekhov's insert object here. So that's check <laughs> that's Chekhov's dragon glass dagger for sure. A hundred, hundred, hundred percent. Um so is John gonna toast a White Walker next week? Is that something I we mean, can look forward on, to? Like, he kinda has to, right? He, why are they building we haven't seen White Walkers all season. Yeah. Right? Like there's no way that we're getting out of next week's episode without seeing at least one White Walker. That's, I mean, that's what the big fight is, about, or that's why they're going and warning those people. They want right. to protect them from these the monsters up in the north. So, yeah, I think if they do that, and there are who else are they going to fight? Yeah, <laughs> for I think the big fight scene. I think very, very, very safe bet that we're going to get some serious White Walker action next week, and that's going to be dope. That's going to be really Which is cool. good because yep. John John needs a good fight. Yeah, he could use a good it's fight. It's been eight episodes. I know. You can't have a season of Game of Thrones without John fighting somebody. Uh, yeah. Even though, even though in the books, it doesn't always happen. Yeah, exactly. No, that doesn't count. Uh, all right. Well, White Walkers, good segue into what's going on at like Stannis' camp because winter is here. Um, you know, we, we see throughout the episode in Winterfell and in the camp that Stannis has set up on the march toward Winterfell. It's just like snow is pounding at this point. Um, it's kind of cool. It's kind of. Do you think that this is what it's going to look like for the rest of the series? That snow is just dumping on the Seven Kingdoms at this point. I can't wait until it starts snowing at King's Landing. Exactly. It's got to, right. I think we're going to get um, to a point where, like, there's going to be very few storylines where it's not just covered in snow. I like that the new sex position is snow position. Snow position. Uh, yeah, we got some of that with Ramsey and Sansa. We get some of that with uh, with Stannis. Like, right, little walking in the snow and and getting some story out of the way. Why not? Kill See, when birds. you said sex position, I thought that you meant like a sex position, and I was like, what is oh. what is snow's position? Uh, well, what does that look like? Maybe, it maybe, involves a cave in and, uh, the redheaded wilding, and no, wildlife. no, no fat pink masts. Oh no, stop. You're terrible. Sorry. It just keeps a, the mental image Sorry. just immediately every time. Sorry. I'm, it's my responsibility. I hope people listening are like, oh having my. I'm feeling. <laughs> oh, oh my, oh my. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm sorry. It's my responsibility. You're a monster. It's my responsibility. I have to do it. Um, We're, let's talk about this sad stuff that's going on yeah. with uh, with Sandra and Stannis. I don't know if anyone else saw this, but there was definitely uh, someone who put together a YouTube video of all the setup for the sacrifice of Shireen Baratheon, no. and it's actually the video is called the sacrifice of Shireen Baratheon. Like they were 
were very clearly setting up that Melisandre was going to play this card. And I am so happy that Stannis's first reaction was like, fuck you, bitch. Yeah. Wow. Whoa. Language. I know. Sorry. It's like, but she's saying kill your own child. Like it makes me question how far Stannis is willing to go to like to secure his claim. Yeah. To be the one true king. And I I felt like this was sort of paralleled in Cersei's storyline with Tommen. She has, I'm jumping ahead, but she has this great scene with Tommen where like, he's like, I love my wife and all this stuff. And Cersei's sacrificed her son's happiness and like really cut his legs out from under him for the sake of her own power and like her own, you know plans yeah. and plots and whatever and and she's really hurting her son in the process and ultimately herself so i thought that there was like an interesting parallel between those two storylines so do you think does the show forgive the grayscale pun does the show have the stones to kill off shireen baratheon like does this the, does the show have i mean that's a stupid question because of course it does but like do you think that that's where we're gonna go is stannis gonna thumbs up getting his his daughter burned alive so he can have another like smoke monster baby i don't like i feel like he won't be on board with it i feel like he won't but do you think that, do you think it's going to happen regardless like whether or not he green lights it is it going to go down like there's gotta be a reason that Celise and shireen were taken along on this whole journey and i think melisandre gets her way one way or another i think i I think that the show set if, up. If to that really happens, then we, yeah. If that happens, well, then we are out on Melisandre forever. You know, if she if she pulls that off, I think that, and a lot of people are already out on Melisandre. But I feel like the moment that Melisandre sacrifices Stannis Baratheon's daughter is the moment where we have to say Melisandre, no good, no bueno. Interesting. Like I, that's too far. It's too far. Like, how could she be on like the good guy's side at any at any point in the future if she just like roasts a little girl? But she's done worse. I don't know if she's done worse. That would probably she's done she's done similarly bad. But I think like Shireen is a is is a little is a little girl who like we've gotten to know, we've gotten to like, we've gotten to care about. Um, she's innocent. All of this stuff has survived improbable odds with the grayscale nonsense. And for for Melisandre to light her up, I feel like that would be a tough tough thing to to take back. But that's so in keeping with what Melisandre's whole deal is, which is like anything's worth the the end goal. And she's done that from the beginning. To me, it would call into question whoever goes along with it with her. Like if if Stannis is like scree- like doing right. everything within his power to stop her and she's like, listen, like we just got to do it like it's we got to do it. I don't think that that like it would be heartbreaking, but I don't think that I would be done with either of those characters. If Stannis turns around and is like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Let's roast my daughter. I'll be like, you are not my manis, Stannis. Stannis's manis status would go down. Uh, way, fewer, way, way fewer down. notches, fewer <laughs> notches. Well, wait, so I, are we just assuming that Shireen is done for this world? <laughs> like, no, because, that, you world. know, you know, the other thing that's in the mixer is uh, Davos. And, you know, he has such a fondness for Shireen and he has shown in the past his defiance towards Melisandre that I think that he could do something here. Uh, I, I almost wonder, does she know that? Will we see her send him away? Oh, like he gets sent away oh, no. in the books. Oh, God. Right? And, that, and that would be why. Ah, that would suck. That would suck. Right? Because I feel like, what is he really doing here? And in all the promo art that I've seen of like 
Actually, have we seen any promo art of Stannis being at the wall? Um, It's not the wall at Winterfell. Not that I've seen. Maybe you've seen stuff. Maybe not. Yeah. I think I've been confusing all my snowy. It's getting confusing. (laughs) These snowy vistas. It's hard to hard to keep track of everything. I do want to give Stannis Manus cred for uh, his line where he says that winter's coming isn't just the house words. It's a fact. Yeah, I love that. Like just like in last week's episode when I love the scene when Jorah and Tyrion or uh, Tyrion said to Jorah like, "What if Danny shouldn't rule?" I love that someone in the show is being like, "A winter is a real thing." And if we stay at Castle Black, we're going to be there for like years to decades. Like, I love that they're reestablishing that this isn't your normal winter. When it comes, it's a big bad deal and no one is taking it seriously except for maybe Stannis. For sure. All right. Well, we will keep an eye out on uh, Stannis' man of status in the weeks ahead. If he if he goes through with this, I think that's going to be right now. He's plus one, plus one, plus one right now. Let's let's see if that dips. All right. Let's go to Winterfell and and let's just say up front. So last week, Terry and I, we talked a lot about the end of last week's episode of Game of Thrones, which involved Ramsay and and Sansa and Theon and unspeakable acts that were very, very difficult to watch. It dominated the podcast that we did last week. We spent about a half hour talking about it at the top of the show and a lot talking about it at the end of the show. We had a very lively discussion about it in the comment section on postshowrecaps.com. A lot of you, many of you were very respectful. Some of you not so much. A couple not so half much. Bitch. The half Wiggly bitch. The half bitch. What, what do I have to do to go full bitch? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but I don't know if you can yeah. ever do Someone that. Someone called me half a bitch I and feel, I want to go I all the way. I feel like half bitch is like I, it's like my, it's, it's like, like more my girl, of an insult because you only got halfway. That like you aren't even a whole bitch. Yeah, I don't, I don't know which, which, which you know way I subscribe to. Like Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder telling me you never go full bitch, or, <laughs> or do I want to go like the Mike Ehrman Trout way and say like no more half bitches, Walter. Uh, so it's it's hard to say, hard to say. Yeah, but either we're gonna w- ruminate on that for a while. E- either way, we talked about it a lot. Uh, thank you guys for for everybody who participated in, in a polite discourse about it. Uh, As thanks, we're gonna talk about it for an hour. <laughs> for an hour now. <laughs> oh, no, no, but we'll talk now. We'll talk about the ramifications of it because it's a it's a week later. We're getting to see what's going on with Sansa this week. The ramifications. The ramifications. Yeah, is that like Snow's position? I'm full of them this week. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> happy um, Memorial Day. <laughs> happy Memorial Day, everybody. Uh, that's when we're recording this. Um, yeah, so we, we get to we get some ramifications uh, of what happened with Sansa. We find out that you know horribly this has continued to happen in uh, in between episodes. That this is a nightly ritual that Ramsay is just coming in and uh, violating Sansa. It's pretty terrible. But uh, you know what we were talking about and what was brought up in the comments uh, thread of last week's podcast uh, very often was like, let's see what this does for Sansa. Like, is Sansa going to, is she going to come out stronger through this? Like, is this going to make her stronger? Is she going to be more resolved than ever? And I think that rather than this making her stronger, I think that we are just seeing that Sansa at this stage in the show and this point in her life is such a strong character. Uh, And like the, just like sort of like the stone hearted way, uh, no pun intended, like the, (laughs) the stone hearted way that she's like, just like looking at Theon and being like, you are Theon Greyjoy. Help me out here right now. Uh, that scene gave me chills it was when awesome. she started saying, when she's like, you're Theon Greyjoy, the eldest son of the House of Greyjoy. Like all that, that just gave me chills. Uh, and also sort of going with your point, there's this 
scene where she and Ramsey are on the battlements. And to yes. me, it totally harkened back to, I guess it was season, either the end of season one, the beginning of season two, when she's on the battlements with, with Joffrey. A and million percent, see, yes. Yeah, as you see, she's thinking like, should I push him off? Yeah. And she doesn't. And I got she that vibe too, it was great. She like, she can't push Ramsey off right here, but she does grab a sharp object and has a weapon um, and, and at least has that will to fight that she didn't have before. So I liked that moment. Yeah, I like um, that moment on, on one level and then on the other level it is like, eh, so we we kind of done this before, right? Yeah. So there there is there is a little piece of that that's still lingering. But I but I I, lo- I thought that Sophie Turner did fantastic work this week, uh, and, oh, yeah. and like great great Sansa Stark stuff uh, in terms of just like the 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 fact that she's still just like so sturdy and and so strong through this really horrible horrible thing that's going on. Um, and but it but it crumbles and fades away in the face of a flayed woman as it would for just about anybody. That was disgusting. Uh, yeah. To see to see the woman who told her to light the candle in the North remembers she has been uh, given she's suffered the ramifications for sure. Well, I think there was a moment in this episode where it makes you wonder if Theon has returned, if Reek has shifted, which would have been terrible if all it took was like one awful night and suddenly Theon's back and like he's putting the candle up. Of course, he goes to Ramsay. And I think that was an important lesson for um, for Sansa to realize that like she can't just will Theon back like that. What has been done to him is terrible. And she sees in this episode that Ramsay is even more despicable than the evil husband who beats her and rapes her every night right. and locks her in a tower. Right. Um, so I, I thought that that was important and still gives us some room to grow on their relationship and, um, and building up to a point where I'm assuming we will see Theon again and he will help Sansa. I do, I do uh, but, just kind of wonder like, what's that moment going to be, you know? Yeah. What's that? What's that moment with Theon? Like, if it wasn't this, if this wasn't the thing that pushes Theon to the point of being like, "Yeah, I got to help out Sansa." So I'm, I feel like it's got to be something else that Ramsay does elsewhere, right? Like maybe it just comes. Out, there's a battle that they're setting up for um, with Stannis coming to Winterfell. Yeah, but I do some a comment that I saw after we recorded the podcast, and like we said last week, like that episode is still very fresh in our minds. You know, we were still sort of working through it, working through our responses in that episode. And I've read a lot that people have said uh, since. And one interesting thing I saw was how that scene together gave Sansa and Theon something, some new shared horror, right? That cements them back together like they both had to live through that and that gives them this bond and I thought that was a really interesting way of reading the scene uh and and something that I hope grows from here on out because she really is the only person who can turn him who knows who he used to be and knows what he should be and is willing to say something about it uh so she lost a friend in that old woman who Ramsay flayed and you know hopefully there's someone else in that castle who's willing to help her and get her message out but at least she does have this new shared um connection with Theon that could prove to be something well she might not need the candle in the window because Brienne is just like giving Winterfell the eyes from across the way isn't she sort of waiting for that sign is that what she's waiting for (laughs) wait yeah I actually think that that's a line in um in one of the upcoming episode descriptions that I need to look up because I think that's hilarious that Brienne's Brienne's waiting Brienne's just standing there looking at a snow-covered castle 
just yeah, tw- twiddling, gonna- <laughs> twiddling her her thumbs, waiting for a candle, candle in the well, night. I, I also I, hated I, when Ramsey was like, "Hang on to your candles; it's cold." Oh uh, my god. god, he's the worst. He really, he's, he's just terrible. Worst. He's he's really horrible, really horrible. Uh, I really hope we get All right, to, yes, to kill the, him this season. Oh no! In this episode, the synopsis says Brienne waits for a sign, so that must be the candle. She's waiting. She's waiting. She's I feel waiting. like she'll just. Uh, hopefully, she'll just get tired and she's just going to charge the gates. <laughs> or she gets tired and she's like, "All right, let's peace." All right, peace out. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Catelyn, I'm out. That's it. No, right. more, no more. Let's let's leave Sansa on that note. Let's sure. continue. Yeah, we'll see. T- TBD on Sansa. TBD on Sansa. Uh, uh, let's go to King's Landing. This is what you've really wanted to talk about. Terry, take the wheel. Yeah, I just I I love Lady Olena. Yeah, she's so great. Much. She's spectacular. I that scene between Lady Olena and the High Sparrow was just such a pleasure to watch. Like to see Diana Rigg and Jonathan Price acting off one, one another, it just felt like these are two actors who are very worthy of verbally spar- sparring with one another. Like they're just so established and such such great actors. And that scene was so fully charged, like from the point where they were trying to get each other to bow. And then they were like, oh, mine's my hips, mine's my knees. Like that's why I try and get other people to bow so I don't have to. Um, all the way through the end when he sort of leaves her speechless and is like, you know, when the few outnumber aren't scared of the many, dot, dot, dot. That's yeah. something scary when your royals are dropping like flies and you're, the people in your family who are in the highest seats of power are currently imprisoned. Like, that's a scary thought, both for viewers and for the characters in the show, and something that Cersei should have taken better heed of. Um, so we, we get, you know, Elena and Littlefinger, they're going to conspire, and Littlefinger has a gift for her. It's another young man. We're going to find out that it's uh, Lancel Lannister, not Loras Tyrell, who was offered up uh, to uh, the, the Sparrow uh, through Oliver. So do we get the sense that Littlefinger was behind that, that he was behind Oliver coming and confessing about Loras? Yes, that's the impression that I got. But my question, like, I also read into this that he told Olena about uh, Lancel and, you know, that that's an ace up her sleeve. And maybe she went and pushed the high sparrow on that. I'm I'm a little hazy on that. And I wonder if you have a different impression, because I also feel like the high sparrow must have known about that from the beginning. I don't know. Or ever since Lancel came and confessed and became so light. I don't I don't know that he he copped to that. Um, I feel like I feel like if he had, then the High Sparrow wouldn't have been doing all of this work with Cersei to begin with. Um, I feel like I feel like the the read that I got was Littlefinger cluing in the Queen of Thorns that Lancel and Cersei have boned in the past uh, mm-hmm. and that they uh, can use this information to get Cersei in jail as well. Uh, and I think that the High Sparrow, I don't feel like he had this information. I feel like the reason like he's still cool with Lancel is because Lancel is coming to him and like confessing it and he's clearly so devout and all of that stuff. So that's like, I think the but High I feel like I think what, what I the High like Sparrow Lancel tends to say Yeah, I, I feel like what the High Sparrow tends to say is like as long as you like uh, show true retribution and remorse and all of this stuff, then like you will you will get the mother's mercy. Uh, so I feel like even if Lancel didn't come to him with that specific information that I used to bang my cousin Cersei, it was terrible. Uh, it was great at the time, but it's it terrible great, now. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel I feel like uh, if he knew that, then I feel like we wouldn't have gotten this far with with the Sparrow and Cersei. 
I just love that Cersei's cockiness is her downfall. Like, I remember we talked about this earlier in the season. I'm like, why isn't she more concerned about this person who she had was in an incestuous relationship with and committed regicide with is now like a re- devout religious fanatic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why is she not more concerned about this? Oh, she should have been because he ended up being the, the thing that brought her down. And I love that we really just see her cockiness and her like smugness getting the better of her in this episode. She, Lena Headey can like barely contain her smile during these scenes when she sees Marjorie, when she gets Marjorie to snap, uh, when she goes and sees her in the cell. I just, I loved everything about how this sequence was acted and down to her at the end saying like, do you see my face? Like, it'll be what you see before you die. So good. Whatever she said to this it like it's so good and I'm, I'm so excited in a way that I wasn't when I first read Feast for Crows to see or was it dance uh, with the walk of shame that's dance yeah I in a way that I wasn't then that I like I can't wait to see her have her walk of shame to have her mother's mercy and to see where she ends up at the end of the season yeah, you know, this is really interesting. So we're, we're recording this uh, and we're getting we're still getting questions in from from listeners as we're recording this. This came in from Half Man Targ just now. Uh, do you think Littlefinger and Elena actually planned everything with Lancel or do you think Littlefinger was just letting Elena know about Lancel and that Cersei had dug her own grave? It seemed to me that Lancel came to the High Sparrow out of his own volition, possibly even before the High Sparrow met Cersei. So other people are thinking about this question that you asked earlier. Uh, See, I, I think I think that it just makes me wonder, like, what's the point? Thought. What's the point of the scene with Littlefinger and the Queen of Thorns talking about it if like the ramifications of that uh, are are not that, you know, Elena goes to the High Sparrow next? Like that just seems to me very strange well, to have that scene on the show. She, the implication was that she already went to him. Like she found out about this and in the next scene, the High Sparrow confronts Cersei. Yeah, like, that's what I I'm saying. Imagine, yeah, I think I feel like he might have already known and just not done anything about it or not connected the dots or whatever. So you think Lancel could have been like, I've been in an incestuous relationship. Didn't have to say it's with Cersei. Right. And I I could buy that too. When Olena found out that this happened and that, you know, regicide and incest are a lot worse than buggery and, you know, lying. Right. Yeah. So I feel like when she figured that All out, sins she was like, are oh, equal in the eyes of the blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but I feel like that was what triggered that shift because yeah, I've, I've been asking that question all season. Like obviously Lancel would have confessed to those things. Why hasn't the high sparrow done anything? Yeah. Uh, we got a bunch of questions in from a listener named Hannah. And one of the things that Hannah asked was, is there any chance at all for Loris considering his fate in the books? It wouldn't be too surprising for him to die. Uh, you know, you got to imagine that there's, there's, there's definitely ways for Marjorie to get out of this situation that she's in as she does in the books. She gets released. I, if I think that I'm remembering that, right. Uh, but Loris is like reportedly like burned alive on Dragonstone in the books. You don't know if that's, if that's rumor, if that's overblown, if it's legit, uh, but that's what you hear. Um, Loris on the show is not on Dragonstone, but he is in a dire situation. Do you think that Loris might just be toasted here as well? I don't think so. Like we've lost a lot of characters this season and it's not even over. I don't imagine like this would be the way to have him go. And I don't think Olena would stand for it. Like the highest bearers threats aside. I feel like part of this deal is going to be her saying, listen, you're going to take down the queen, right. like the biggest celebrity in our realm. And 
I'm going to have my kids back and like, they'll confess to their crimes and, and get mother's mercy. And it probably won't be so bad. And we can move on from there. Like ultimately the walk of shame is humiliating and horrible, but it's not the worst thing. It's not death. Um, so I don't imagine that what comes out of this will be death. The walk of shame is pretty horrible. It is pretty horrible. The walk of shame. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see how that plays out on the show. I feel like that's... I ran an article not even realizing that this would be the episode that um, that Cersei ends up getting uh, arrested. Thrown into jail, yeah, yeah. Right, but I, I wrote an article just from a super old interview I did with Lena Headey uh, on, when we were on set, and she was just sort of like... Cersei has a, like some severe repercussions coming her way. And the, one of the comments on our Facebook post about it was just <laughs> a drawing of the walk of shame. Oh, and I brutal. was like, yes, no, can't no, no. wait. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, Cersei's brother. Let's go further south, as south as it gets in Westeros. Let's go to Dorne. Uh, Jamie is uh, like, you can't. Uh, Rob and Antonio Mazzaro, who did the live show on Sunday night, they had a very fun exchange about, uh, like, you're not my dad. Well, actually, I am. But it was like, yeah. it was like kind of that moment where, like, he can't say anything to her uh, when she's like throwing her fit and she's like, I love Tristan and you can't tell me what to do and blah, 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 blah. Um, I and, think and, she's sort of right, though. Like, uh, mom sent me away years ago, forgot about me. Now she cares. Like, can we talk Why? about that word? Can we talk about that word years? Matt Campbell writes in, Marcella tells Jamie she's been in Dorne for years. She must get really bored playing in those water fountains because I'm fairly sure at this point it hasn't even been a year since Tyrion sent her. Sent in 299 AC and it is currently 300 AC on the show's timeline. Um, I don't know. I, I She got sent in uh, in season two, though. In, or season, was it season, three? In, in season two. Uh and I think that they're sort of running with every season as a year. I feel like it's kind of like that. Um, yeah. So the, I think the, the time on the show. Like yeah. The time of the show versus the time of the books. Things happen, you know, in a fairly short period of time in the books, I feel like. I mean, it's been it's, you know, time has passed, certainly. Um, but I feel and George like, even said that was an issue he had where that was why he wanted to jump. Um, right. Feast and dance forward because he wanted to get these characters out of being so young. So I think I mean, I heard that as it being three years and I was like, oh, yeah, maybe, you're right. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe should have done that. Uh that's neither here nor there, but it does seem like things take longer on the show, like more time passes on the show. So when she said like, I've been in Dorne for years, like I, I take that at face value. I take it at face value. Like, it explains why Isaac Hempstead Wright is like a thousand feet tall and why <laughs> Marcella is older than last we saw her and also played by a different actor. Uh, so and Tommen is older than when we'd seen him before and also and played, also by, a played by a different actor. Uh, so yeah, so that, that all makes sense to me. There's not a ton to talk about with the Jamie stuff other than for me to say like, uh, over, overall on the Dorn thing, like, was it worth the trade of losing the Riverlands for this version of Dorn? Maybe. No, that was what I said yesterday. It was yeah. like kudos to them for changing his storyline, but still having it be so boring. So boring. Like, <laughs> yeah. They, this is all you could do. And something we were talking about, like Dorn just feels so small. Like they shot at this palace, but this is all we see. Like we talked right. about this last week. It's just the water gardens and like, Places where you can see the water gardens. Yeah. This, give me some sense of scale. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's just the water gardens. And then like uh, wherever Jamie is, it's like the most elaborate, you know, pristine cell of all time. Like he's just I hanging mean, I feel out. Like he's not captive. I feel like Braun. Braun is captive. 
And yeah. the sand snakes are captive, but Jamie is being treated uh, plush. You know, he's he's living the plush life yeah. right now. Uh, the question on the minds of many, many people is, uh, do we like the sand snakes more after this week's episode? Um, I'll oh, let you talk uh, first. <laughs> well, I, th- I think that the internet says two thumbs up. Two thumbs up on the Sand Snakes for uh, two two reasons in particular. Uh, I got to say, you know, I was high, higher on the Sand Snakes. I was excited about the Sand Snakes when they first got introduced. Even back then, people were saying that scene felt really out of place. I liked that scene. I liked that scene where, where the Sand Snakes are introduced and they throw a, like a, a spear through a dude's head who's buried in the ground. That was cool. But I did not like their fight scene the other week. And this scene was just Did you kind see of- that gif, by the way, of, uh, of Tyenne's fighting with... With the daggers where she just runs in place. I need to send it to everyone. I need, I need if to not, see that. It's the best. Like just this one snippet of how terribly choreographed that right. fight was. Yeah, I, I got, I got to see that. I, I didn't, I didn't care for that. And I, you know, yay boobs. But I mean, like that doesn't do much, you know, in the grand scheme of things. These characters are. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're doing here. Why uh, did she poison Braun? Only to to give him the antidote right then. Like, let him die. He's your enemy. Like, I totally, I totally get that she had him stand up and she aroused him so that his blood would start pumping and the poison would travel faster because he wasn't feeling it. But like, why would you then give him it? And how could you gamble on the fact that you would poison him and then you would both be in cells opposite each other? And like, how did the antidote work in two seconds? I just, uh, it's just like. Uh, it drives me crazy. It feels I, like, I a I lot of this stuff. Yeah, characters. a lot of this stuff feels like a different show. And to me, like, okay, I'm. I was so glad that they didn't make Hannah Murray, who plays Gilly, show her boobs during a sex scene because that might be like the first sex scene ever where boobs weren't shown on Game of Thrones. Right. And like Amelia Clark is. It's a in shame we didn't see again. the. Uh, I won't say it. Thank you. Thank you. But you still put the mental image in my head and I will never forgive you for having done this to me like six times. Um, Sorry. But, but like Amelia totally has it written on her contract now where she's like, I'm not showing myself naked anymore. Sorry, guys. Is that so real? Just for, felt, for real? She does? Well, no, but like, come on. She was naked all over the place in season one and now she's this huge movie star and she like is covered up in every single sex scene. Interesting. Like, I, you, I totally get the sense that the main actors on the show are like, we aren't doing it. Like, have all your background booby ladies like we aren't gonna do it we aren't gonna do it that's what this scene felt like like it felt a bit out of place and like oh hey we had two sex scenes in this episode or one and a half and we didn't show any boobs so like let's have this new character do it and like she has great boobs i'm so happy for you like they were fantastic but i was just like why why sorry everyone after last week like i know everyone is gonna tear me apart oh no but, but i'm just like it just it feel it felt like a scene that would showcase how sexy how sexy she is, and it just doesn't make sense to me why these badass sand snakes would just give them the antidote. What yeah. was the whole point of all of it? I think that the point of that is like maybe maybe the I don't know like if if this is how Bron dies, like if Bron dies of poisoning, uh, if if the poison kills him, then. Like we can never like it, even even more so than if Melisandre gets Shireen toasted, like if the sands and, and we wouldn't be able to forgive her for that. I think I feel even stronger. Like if the sand snakes got Bronn this way, we would never be able to be on team sand snake ever again. You can't do that. Right. And it's not even that to me. Like, I, so I just, just feel like it's like, like the like show fixing that. Yeah, it feels like their storyline is so. Easy, like, remember how they 
went after Marcella the exact same second that Jamie and Braun did. Like, what are the odds of that coincidence happening? And like, for them to just happen to be in the same cell when he just happens to get hit by this poison and then she just happens to give it to him. Like, it just seems too easy and too, I don't know, like coincidental. I just, I'm not digging it. And I'm really disappointed because I was so excited for them. And I like, if this is all they were going to do with Dorn, you should have brought on the Iron Islands. Like maybe it would have been harder to find a set there, but I just feel like they've totally dropped the ball with these storylines and none of this feels integral to me. And maybe that'll all change in the finale, but like Oberyn was in a scene and nailed it. And we cared about him the entire season. And you've now had seven episodes. And like the most people can say about this is that like Tyann Sand had great boobs. Yeah. 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 I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens with them. If things happen with them. Um, it's a little bit of a shoulder shrug for me right now in terms of the sand snakes. Um, so that's everything that happens in this episode. I think, I mean, there's so many stories that I feel like we could have lost one. No Aria this week. Once again. Yeah. But that's fine. It's not fine. We've had three episodes of Aria this whole season. Yeah, but we had four chapters of Arya in that book. I'm excited. I feel like we're going to meet Cat of the Canal soon. It just feels like that's a story that they, if like all the, of all the stories they're hitting fast forward on, like you got to, you got to speak. I would rather have Arya. less Arya that's great Arya than more Arya that I'm just sort of shrug about. But I feel, is, like the, I feel like any Arya would be great Arya. Like in any and all Arya would be great. It. Don't jinx it. All right. <laughs> uh oh. So uh, what was what was your favorite thing in this episode? Uh, my favorite Let's thing. End on a positive note. My favorite thing in this episode is a draw between Strong Belwaz and the Fat Pink Mast. <laughs> For me, it was uh, egg. I had a dream that that I was, was terrific. That was terrific. Uh, you are obviously a deeper human being than I am, Terry Schwartz. Well, uh, you've just been waiting for that fat pink mast. Ah! I know. <laughs> oh god, it's terrible, right? It's uh, terrible mental yeah. image. Apologies, Sorry, everybody, for the badly. the explicit language this week on the Game of Thrones book club. We're feeling a little punchy. We're feeling a little I punchy know. today. Uh, this is also, by the way, this is going to be um, the last time you hear from Terry and I for a little while. Uh, Terry, not that long. Not that long, but we will. We, we, we will. We will not. We will not be doing. Uh, Terry and I won't be doing Game of Thrones book club next week. I'm going to be away, and Terry, you've got things you can't talk about. Things I can't talk about. Things you can't talk about. So we're both we're both busy next week. Um, so we are going to have a Game of Thrones book club, but it won't be with Terry and myself. It's going to be the fantastic Antonio Mazzaro and Jessica Lee of Post Show Recaps, and Rob has a planet fame. Um, those are going to be the people who are going to take the wheel of book club next week. I'm really excited to listen to their take because those people are really smart, really intelligent, fantastic podcasters, really hilarious people um, who have very much thoroughly read the books. And I know I I haven't talked much with Jessica at all. Uh, about uh, her perspective on the books, but I know Antonio at least he really cares about these books and has has some opinions on on things that have been changed this season. So I'm really interested to, to hear the two of them talk about it from that perspective. So I think we're going to have a very different but very fun book club next week with Antonio and Jessica at the wheel. Uh, so you guys should tweet stuff their way if you've got questions after the end of next week's episode. They're going to be handling it. So Antonio is at AC Mazzaro with two Z's, one R, and Jessica's at Haymaker Hattie. Uh, so talk to those guys for next week's episode. 
episode. Um, but as far as this week's episode goes, you should talk to Terry and I at Terry underscore Schwartz and at Round Howard, like Ron Howard, but rounder. Uh, let's give you guys a hashtag. There's a lot of choices this week. Terry, you were on. Uh, fi- let's just you're let's just fire. go hashtag pink mast. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm sure that that yes, is. I'm and it will haunt you. No, I'm sure. I'm sure that that is being used. We don't. We don't need. <laughs> Wait, I'm gonna look it up. We right don't need second. to go there. But you you gave us some other great ones. I think hashtag Foggy Belwaz would be good. Uh, hashtag Stannis Mana status is good. Hashtag Ramifications is good. And then Terry, you. What put about Snow's position? Snow's position. Like- hashtag Snow's position. Yeah. Yes. That's going to be the one that we are circling. Snow's position is the one that we prefer. But any of the ones that we've uh, tossed out, I think, would be good. So send us send us your thoughts. Leave them in the in the comment section here on postshowrecaps.com. Uh, join us again. Well, join the Game of Thrones book club again when it's in the hands of Antonio Mazzaro and Jessica Lee's next week. Uh, we will be back, Terry and I, in two weeks to talk about episode nine uh, with, I'm sure, our thoughts on episode eight as well, because it'll be our first chance to talk about that. Um, and other than that, Terry, anything else? Well, for the record, Pink Mast has only been used in reference to <laughs> to uh, from 2011 talking about Samuel Tarley. Oh so, my God. Oh God. fun fact. Fun, fun fact. fact. Fun fact, indeed. All right, everybody. That's going to do it for the Game of Thrones book club this week. Take care. Terry, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye, guys. <laughs> 